people began to talk about Christmas. We put up the lights and the, the decorations and, and family members and neighbors and friends could be heard asking the question, are you ready for Christmas? Go to school and we ask each other, are you ready for Christmas? Well, today's sermon is about how to get ready for Christmas, not in the sense of trimming the tree and buying gifts and making travel arrangements and planning all of the menus, all of the delicious foods, uh, gifts under the tree, while all of those things are, are important and significant and certainly have a place in the divine, uh, in the scheme of things for Christmas, the point that we're talking about today and the point that the text brings out is far more important than those tangible things, those touchable matters of the season. The text highlights some business that all of us should handle, and we all want to handle our business. Am I right about it? It highlights some business we should handle in order to get ourselves ready for Christmas. Spiritually speaking, are you with me? Luke tells us, beginning in verse 26, that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a young virgin by the name of Mary, who was engaged to be married to Joseph. The angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. God sees something special in your life. Mary was troubled at the words spoken to her by the angel Gabriel and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She was perhaps thinking to herself, what's the purpose of this great salutation? What's the principle of this wonderful salute? What's the point of this magnificent saying? Would not be outside the scope of responsible reasoning to believe that Mary's blood pressure increased as she proceeded to uh, in the presence of the angel and, and as well as listening to the proclamation of the angel. Notice in verse 29, Mary did not speak a word. At this point, she is all ears. She is listening. Yet obviously, her body language, her nonverbal communications expressed a deep level of amazement and fear that she felt. So much so until the angel sought to settle her nerves and calm her fears by explaining the context as well as the content of the message. Have you ever met somebody and said something to them they didn't have to say a word, but just their body language told you that they were amazed or that they were uncomfortable or that they were fearful of what you said. In verses 30 to 33, Gabriel says to Mary, do not fear. 
you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, the message of the angel was unmistakably clear. Mary had been chosen by God to bring forth the long-awaited Messiah. Mary understood the name of Jesus, Yeshua, or Joshua, which means Yahweh, a God, is our Savior. She had been taught that Yahweh, Yeshua, she had been taught that God would be our Savior. She understood Jesus would occupy the throne of David and his kingdom would never end. She knew Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of Israel, was the one whom Isaiah spoke when he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mary was well aware and understood that prophetic verse, Isaiah 7, 14. Now, clearly having seen herself in the formula of God's redemptive plan, Mary had a question. Her question is stated in verse 34. How can this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. This was not a theological question, but rather this was a biological question. Mary understood the theology of the coming Savior. She understood the theology that she was going to bring forth a son, but what she did not quite understand was the biological process, how this was going to take place. Now, remember back in verse 13 when Zacharias, the priest, was told by the angel that his wife, Elizabeth, was to have a son, bear him a son. In verse 18, Zacharias posed this question to the angel who delivered the news. How shall I know this? In other words, how shall this be? How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And notice his words. And my wife is well advanced in years. Zacharias was a smart man. Notice he said, I am an old man. But when it came to talking about Elizabeth, she is advanced in years. Well advanced in years. In verse 20, the angel then rebuked Zacharias for his question. Yet Mary asked the same question but without rebuke. Why? Why did the angel rebuke Zacharias? In fact, he was mute. He was not able to speak for a season, but at the same time did not rebuke Mary. The answer is simple. Zacharias asked the question out of doubt, but Mary asked the question out of curiosity. Zacharias' question was about theology. He had an issue with God doing this, whether he was going to do it 
or not. In other words, simply speaking, he did not believe. And Mary's question was about methodology. She believed. She just wanted to know how the process would work. Mary's question was not born out of doubt, distrust, or belief. Rather, her question was born out of curiosity. It wasn't that she didn't believe God could do what he said he would do, but she wondered how the way, she wondered about how the way God would go about getting it done. There is a difference. You see, Mary's trust in God swung on the historical door hinges of what God had done in the past. She learned from history as all little Jewish boys and girls learned that the God she served had created something out of nothing when in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. He saved his people by parting the Red Sea and letting them cross on dry ground. She understood that he rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Daniel from the lion's den, Elijah from Ahab, and Jezebel, Esther and her people from the wicked hands of Haman. Mary understood how God used Joseph, who had been sold into slavery by his brothers, lied on by Pontiphar's wife, sentenced to prison for a crime he did not commit, rolled from the pit to Pontiphar's, from Pontiphar's uh, to prison and from prison to the palace. Mary understood that God had all power in his hands. She knew how God had led his people in the wilderness, feeding them with manna from on high, guiding them by day and by night, so she knew what God could do. Wasn't a theological issue at all for Mary. She knew what God shall do. Therefore, she was not uh, doubting the process. She was just curious about how the process would unfold in her life. Now, notice verse 35. The angel addresses Mary's curiosity by explaining the process. He said, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon you this will be a spiritual doing this will be something that only God's spirit can accomplish in your life and the power of the most high will overshadow you Mary the spirit of God has dominance over a life that is surrounded to surrender to him so the holy one born to you will be called the son of God. Now, t- t- to me, this is almost in, in humorous fashion. Gabriel says in verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. Imagine Gabriel smiling and thinking to himself, so merry. How's that for satisfying your curiosity? I've heard it said that God has a sense of humor. I really believe that God has a great sense of humor when it comes to working with us, in us, and through us. God has a sense of humor. Now, some of us are old enough here to remember the group, the Delphonic. 
if you if you if you ain't too holy to say so you remember the Delphonics. They they were a group that recorded back in the day and they recorded a song entitled Did Not Blow Your Mind This Time. Did not. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I thought about in, in preparation for this message. I thought about, I thought about that when I read verse 35, because that's exactly what God did. God is in the business sometime of blowing our minds with the stuff that he does. Yesterday I was, after the, uh, the uh, workshop, I was talking to uh, Dr. Harris. Uh, I consider him to be a friend, Pastor Harris. And I said, do, do you mind if I use you as an example? He said, well, no, Pastor, it's, it's fine. Go ahead and use me. I grew up in South Carolina. And uh, they didn't integrate schools until I was in like sixth grade. But, 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 but m- most of our communities were, were segregated. The blacks lived on one side of town and the whites lived on the other. And even when they bust the white kids into our schools, we were still in the majority and we were still controlling stuff. I remember watching Dr. Martin Luther King on the civil rights movement. And I, I began to watch, remember watching some of the marches and the beatings and the followers, the, the, and some of the, the, the followers being beaten. And I remember the group called the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan, and I remember watching them there in their robes and in their hats. And I remember the violence and the burning of crosses. And now you fast forward, and, and here it is 2014, and, and here we are with the former Klansmen, who has, who has, who has, who has committed to be a part of our church family, who is, who is, who has been a pastor himself with a lovely wife and, and family and, and worship with us. And I remember Dr. King saying, sit down at the table of brotherhood. And yesterday we were seated at the table. He was across from me. I was across from him. I can't help but say from God's point of view, didn't I blow your mind? Didn't I blow your mind this time? God does stuff that blows our mind. And I, I was, I was, I was just in two Wednesday noontime Bible study, and I was listening to to Deacon Miller's testimony and how how he was on dialysis and and I know how sick he was because some of us went out to the house and and I know he couldn't hardly sit up sometimes and it was a a chore a challenge for him just to to entertain us and to and to receive us but he wanted so badly to talk with us and and I remember him sharing his testimony the day he went to dialysis the doctor said to him you go home You've been healed. You, you, don't, you don't need dialysis. And I thought about that. God, didn't I blow your mind? 
this this time? Didn't, didn't I do something that, to let you know that I really am God? I, I'm great, and, and there's no one higher than me, and there, there's nothing that, that I can't do. I, come on, somebody, that I can't accomplish. I was talking to our son, Linnell Jr., just the other day, and, and you have to understand, Linnell, Linnell, I mean, he grew up in a Christian home, but when he got old enough, he, he, he took off and went on his own. We had sent him to, to, to three colleges, and, 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 and he, he did enough to pass, but he, he, he didn't do, do well, and so he got upset, and he just left. And I was pastoring in Kansas City, and he just took off and just left. Didn't know where he was. My, my daughter knew where he was because they were close. They've always been close, and... And so later on, we found out that he had joined the army, and he was graduating, and and, uh, and later he came to Good Hope, and I baptized him, but he still wasn't committed to Christ. We kept praying, the church kept praying, and, and just about a year or so, he committed his life to Jesus Christ. He's 36 years old now, so now all he wants to talk about is church and, and the Lord. And he told me something the other day that just really blew my mind. He said, Daddy, I was talking with this other young man in, in my office, and uh, he, he said, well, you're going to be a preacher like your daddy? And Linnell said, well, I, I don't know. He said, but if God's called me, I ain't running from it. And so my daughter took on me because she was talking with him, and I called both of them and got their permission to tell this story. So, oh, yeah, Daddy, go ahead and tell it. I, that, that's, that's great. Tell it. He was all excited because about a week ago, he went to the Marvin Sapp concert. <laughs> it is <coughs> freezing in Illinois. He jumps off from work and go, goes and change quick, picks up his wife, and they drive uh, way out to see here Marvin Sapp. So he was talking to his sister on the telephone, and, and uh, she, he said, I, I went to a, a concert. So Delacroix said, well, who do you hear? Was it R.B.? Was it rap? He said, no, it wasn't R.B., it wasn't rap. He said, well, it was gospel. It was Marvin Sapp. You, you know, Marvin Sapp. And so, and so Dell started laughing. And he said, oh, you find that funny? And then she sang a little bit of, never would have made it. Without you. And, and, and you know, and you know, I, I couldn't help but think about, didn't I blow your mind? He was a boy who, who, who wanted nothing to do with church when he got old enough. And he didn't have to go anymore. But now, he can't get enough of talking about God and the things of God. And so that's what, that's what's happening in the text. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Imagine Gabriel smiling. God, through Gabriel, satisfied Mary's curiosity. That's the kind of God we serve. I thought about how God blows our minds. and must have blown the minds of the people in verse 35. Um, because I'm sure that there were some people who were thinking, 
Some folk thought they had one foot in the grave and the other one on a banana peel. Some perhaps had already begun, began to plan their homegoing service and dividing up the property. But God was not through with them yet. In fact, verse 36 tells us that that they were not even close to being done with and that it ain't over until it's over. Notice verse 37, the angel of the Lord says to Mary, for with God, nothing will be impossible, which is the premise for our first point today. It's as though he said to Mary, we have covered a lot of material today, Mary, but here's the punchline. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's what, what will get you ready for Christmas and beyond. Here's what will get you over when times are tough. Here is what will help make sense out of all of the twists and turns of life from the insensitive reaction of the innkeeper who will not make room for Jesus to the vile, vindictive, and vicious enemies who will slander him, and the cruel, callous, and cold Roman soldiers who will scourge him, crucify him on the tree. It'll get you over until the days that he rises from the grave with all power in his hands, knowing that nothing is impossible with God, and that God never relinquishes his control, and no matter the twists and turns, the mountains, the valleys, the joys and the sorrows that come your way. Mary, remember, positively nothing will ever happen to you that God cannot handle because nothing is impossible with God. So you remember that. You remember that. You see, we are ready for Christmas, New Year's and beyond when we get that first point. When we know for ourselves that nothing is impossible with God. We need to be confident that come what may. In the White House, in your house, in my house, in the church house, on Capitol Hill, in the suburbs, in the hood, on the busy streets, or in the, on the lowly highways, in Silicon Valley, a bogey bottom, no matter what happens in the doctor's office, in the principal's office, in the courtroom, or your bedroom, God is ultimately in charge, and God, help me somebody, God has everything under his sovereign control. It ain't over until God says it's over. Point two is found in verse 38. Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Now stop right here. Did you get that? Mary's humility shines through in the text. She has nothing to prove. No axe to grind. And no bone to pick. 
She's not trying to impress or prove her self-worth to anybody. Pay a close attention to what she says. Mary refers to herself as the maid servant of the Lord. Not as the highly favored, choice selected above all the other women of the Lord. Not as Mary the Magnificent, Mary the Great, or Mary the Honored, or Mary the Highly Exalted One. No, no. She says Mary the maid servant of the Lord. Mary understood her place in the divine scheme of things. That is, she was God's servant. And that's all she ever aspired to be. Her goal in life, her career pattern, path, her ambitions were intrinsically tied to serving God to the best of her ability. Her aim, her motivation was to carry out the mission that God gave her, which was to bear and bring forth his son and to be all that she could be in the life of Jesus as she helped get him ready for all that God had designed for him to do. That was it. She needed no props, no perks, no prizes, no praises, but was satisfied just with hearing God's voice deep down in her soul saying to her every morning when she got up and every night when she went to bed well done thy good and faithful servant well done Mary you have done and you are doing all that I called you to do Mary was ready for Christmas because of her of her humility. Unlike many people who because of pride and arrogance are scratching and clawing and pushing and pulling trying to get to what they perceive to be the top of the heap. But Mary simply humbled herself under the mighty hand of God. And trusted God to take her step by step to the place he wanted her to be. Are you with me? Like Mary, if we are to be ready for Christmas, we must humble ourselves and trust God. With our futures. I know what the world is saying. I know what the experts are saying. I I know what people are saying who don't know God. They're saying take matters into your own hand. Do it yourself. Be your own person. Look out for number one. The world says promote yourself. Exalt yourself. Talk about yourself. 
Tell everybody how good you are. Praise your self-worth and boast about your valuability to the team, the organization, and even to the church. The world says you demand, you deceive, and you even destroy any and everything that gets in your way in order to get what you want. But notice the word, what the word of God says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James 4 and 6. God says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Mary humbled herself in the sight of God and God lifted her up. No scratching, no clawing, no stepping on people, but humbly submitting to God and God lifted her up over everybody else. God did it. James 4 and 10. God said, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time, so says Peter, First Peter 5 and 6, that he may exalt you in due time, when the time is right, not in chrono time, but in kairos time, not in chronological time, which is human time, but in, in, in uh, God's time, kairos time. Now, as I prepare to close, notice again, verse 38, Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. Know what she's saying? Just have your way, God. In order to get ready for Christmas, Mary surrendered her life to God. Mary didn't hold, didn't say, hold on a minute, God. Now, my plans to get married to Joseph, we're going to move into that little house on the edge of town, and we plan to live peaceful and quiet lives together. No, she totally surrendered her life into God's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present hands. In fact, Mary's theme song could have been the same as the hymn writer who wrote these words take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take my moments and take my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise take my will take take my Will take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. Take my heart. Like like the little drummer boy said, I don't have a whole lot to give. I don't have I, I, I don't have silver and gold. I don't have houses and land. Mary didn't have much, but she said, Take my heart. It is thine, it shall be thy royal throne. It shall be thy royal throne in order to be ready for Christmas. Yeah. 
That's where we need to be. We need to be lifting up holy hands and saying to God, Lord, I surrender all to you. Some perhaps today need to say to God, Lord, I've been holding back and I've been holding out. I've been doing life my way, but no matter how hard I try, my way is not working. No matter how hard I try to fix it, I, I mess things up. No matter how hard I try to go up, I keep coming down. My way is not working. We are only 11 days away from celebrating Christmas. The question is, are you ready? Oh, I'm not talking about the toys and I'm not talking about the gifts and I'm not talking about travel plans and airlines tickets, but I'm talking about are we really totally surrendered out to God? Are our lives surrendered to Jesus? If the answer is yes, praise God. But if the answer is no, God invites you to surrender to him today, even in the quietness of where you sit in your own heart and in your own mind, it's between you and God. But he stands inviting you to surrender today, surrender your all to him. Will you come? Will you make that change? Another old hymn of the church that rings down through the corridors of time have bid people to come to Jesus with these words, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, holy live. 